Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are running another installment of our Reviewing the Reviewer series, where we ask various Blister reviewers questions about their backgrounds and gear preferences to give you a more complete picture of the people behind our reviews. And since we like to rank and review things around here, we will be scoring each of our reviewers' answers to come up with a definitive grade of their personhood. Now, in the hot seat today is Eric Friesen, who is one of the few people at Blister who reviews both bike equipment and ski gear for us. And speaking of bikes, you should definitely check out episode number 22 of our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, which was Eric's Blister Podcast Network debut, and it was one hell of a debut. Eric was definitely the MVP of that episode. So go check that out over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. But this particular conversation that you are about to hear took place recently in Blister headquarters, where Luke Coppa and I subjected Eric to our regular gauntlet of reviewing the reviewer questions, but we also threw in a few new questions specifically tailored for Eric, including, how many times have you broken your neck? We asked him about the story behind his co-founding of the freeride team at Western Colorado University. And of course, we asked him about a couple Friesen-isms, like Torque Smash and Smokin' Rocks. And no, Smokin' Rocks doesn't mean what you think it means. That said, I should probably point out that this episode does touch on a few mature topics, And by mature, I definitely mean immature. So if you are particularly uptight or were planning to listen to this episode with your young children, you probably shouldn't. Also, don't forget to stick around for the outro of this episode to learn the official Reviewing the Reviewer score that we gave to Eric. And sometime within 24 hours of publishing this podcast, You will also be able to check out the scintillating video of the conversation that we had with Eric in Blister HQ, and that will be over on our Blister YouTube channel. So if you want to see exactly how handsome of a devil this Eric Friesen is, well, you just need to wait a few hours, then go to our Blister YouTube channel. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to our conversation with the one and only Eric Friesen from our Blister headquarters right here in Mount Crested Butte. Here we go. Eric Friesen, welcome to Gear 30. This has been kind of a remarkable, like, 72 hours for you, because not only are you making your kind of Blister Podcast Network debut, you've been on two in, like, the span of 72 hours, so... Um, I can only say, um, you know, you must be just on top of the world right now. Yeah, it's a wild time to be alive. (laughs) So, um, yeah, another episode of Reviewing the Reviewer. And you kind of pull double duty around here, uh, which is pretty rare 
um, we don't have that many people reviewing in two different categories for us, but look at you reviewing both on the bike side and on the ski side. So we're going to talk a bit about both of those things today. Um, but you know, let's, let's take it back for a moment. We got to talk a bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Vermont, a tiny little town. People might be familiar with Rutland, Vermont, Killington, Vermont, that area, central Vermont. Okay. Yeah. I mean, basically when people ask, it's, I grew up an hour south of Burlington is kind of the, the de facto answer. You know, most people know where Burlington is, Uh so it slides through well, but yeah, it was a, it was a super cool place to grow up. I mean, tiny little great town, lots of stuff to do, uh, pretty crazy. I mean, Vermont, like you've seen like the Rolling Stone articles with like the heroin epidemic and all the issues there, like pretty interesting place to grow up. Very big demarcation zone kind of between like happy suburban families and like some real heavy, like drug related stuff. I mean, I had a a couple years ago, a drive by shooting that happened like a half mile from my house, but you'd never know Mm -hmm. where I lived. So what were you into as a kid? I mean, I pretty much, I spent most of my time outdoors, built a lot of tree forts, uh, did a lot of just, you know, woodcrafty kind of things. One of the really cool things that my parents did for me as a young kid was I went to this uh, month-long summer camp that was essentially centered around, it was for a while called Camp Challenge, but it was kind of a survival-style camp where a lot of your experiences would ultimately culminate in a self-imposed sort of period of isolation where you had to survive in the woods for a period of time with, you know, it ranged from like when you were starting out with a book of matches and a potato all the way down to like you walked into the woods with nothing. So that was, you know, what I did a lot of was just getting lost in the woods. I kind of actually like the idea. It sounds like your parents basically were into very inexpensive like babysitting you know, so like, we're going to teach you survival skills. So you go away for a month and then they're just like, Ooh, yeah, kids out of the house. Maybe he'll come back. My dad has some good stories about me as a kid. I wasn't an easy child. Didn't make life easy for them. No, um, no, I'm sure. I'm sure that was part of it. Getting a little bit of breathing room in the summertime. Huh. I'm sure they appreciated that. So I find this hard to believe that you weren't the easiest child in the world. No, no. Do you care to tell us in what ways you were not an easy child? How risque of a story can I tell? (laughs) Uh. So a good example of the kinds of things that I put my poor parents through, I can pretty vividly remember a memory where I was 16 years old dating a very pretty girl. And my poor mother walked in on me getting a topless lap dance in the house, (laughs) (laughs) covered her eyes, ran away, distraught, you know, that kind of stuff. So. (laughs) Right. Um, Sorry, mom. I think that's in all of our years of blister podcasts. That's the first lap dance reference. Okay. Let's talk about sports stuff. Did you do the team sports thing? 
Yeah, definitely. And that was, it was pretty cool. My dad was always, you know, like a coach. So that was kind of an interesting, you know, I did all of them. He was around. It was looking back, it was really nice that he was there. But at the time, man, that was hard because coach's you know, son. Yeah. There's like what everybody else needs to do. And then there's what you need to be doing. Football and baseball were definitely the two that I was best at and most mm. interested in. He finally agreed that I could stop playing basketball in ninth grade when things started to get a little bit more serious in that sport. And that was one of the greatest days of <laughs> high school for me because I was not a good basketball player. Um, but yeah, you know, like did the definitely the normal kind of kid things. And uh, my mom in the wintertime, there was, you know, a uh, like a ski school program. She'd drive me up to Killington every Sunday and hang out. And that was kind of when and where I learned to ski, you know, coming up through that. So I actually, I, once I kind of graduated out of that, I stopped skiing really till I was probably 15, 16. That was kind of when I started skiing a bunch again. So. so you were skiing as a kid, yep. but also when did you start playing football? Was that like oh, just high school? No, I mean when I, you know, when I, like stuff? flag football. Okay. That, yeah. So did you do the team sports thing in high school? Eventually it got whittled down to just football. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of competitive indoor climbing. You know, I kind of kept trading out the, the, the team sports for more individual sports where I could just kind of do my own thing. And, and that was, seemed to be a better fit for me. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. So on the team sport front, just football through high school. And then were you done with football? I didn't play in college. Um, I broke my neck my senior year. That was a, it sort of was a good opportunity for me to really evaluate like where I wanted to be geographically um, and was a big part of kind of how I found my way west. Okay, so how old were you roughly when you started skiing? Eight. Okay. Uh, you know, like... yeah. Not four. But, no. Okay. I didn't... I have no formal training, no racing background, nothing like that. Yeah. I wish I did. Climbing, mountain biking, boating, what happened first? What did you get into first? Mountain biking was definitely an early love for me, for sure. Um, I actually, my first real mountain bike was a women's mongoose because it had the slanted top tube mm -hmm. so I could get over it. I was small enough. Yeah. Um, so I did, I did that a lot as a kid and it was a lot of like riding logging roads and fire roads. Um, later on, I got more into downhill and downhill racing, like at Killington and stuff like that. But early on, it was just kind of a, a tool to explore and to get further away from the house. So that, I don't know exactly, you know, when I started, but young, and that was something that's always been with me. Climbing was definitely something that I grew into more as I kind of got into middle school. Hmm. Um, I met and kind of a really cool guy, became a mentor of mine, basically. He was a, a mountain guide, and he kind of started showing me rock and ice climbing. And so that was something that I did a ton of through high school, kind of eventually getting to the point where I was working as a guide myself while in high school too. Hmm. And then kayaking was kind of a, a late addition. I think I was probably 17 and it was a, a way for me to continue to do more trips with clients. Um, so uh, another guide that worked for this service kind of, again, like in a mentorship role, brought me out and sort of showed me the ropes and got me into that. That's still young though, like yes. overall, right? Like seems like kayaking and boating is 
often an oh. ac- activity that people pick up a bit later, right? You know, I, I kayaking is such a, a small niche sport anyways. I, I think y- you probably either get into it because your parents are into it or, you know, kind of as you're saying, you get into it later in life when you're making more of those decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just sort of the uh, the circumstance and environment that I was in. My parents aren't kayakers, and I I didn't know it, many other young boaters. But you know, I, I think when you look at a lot of the people that are on the forefront of that sport now, it's they got into yeah, it yeah, through yeah. their families. Yeah, fair enough. For for the climbing, you said competitively. Was there like a team for your school and like competitions to go to, or was it more informal at that point? No, it was it was pretty formalized. So there was a, a statewide climbing league. High schools would field teams. You know, you'd have individual and team scores at a number of different events. Um, I was pretty fortunate in that one of the biggest climbing gyms that would hold a lot of the events was close by. Wow. So it was very accessible for me, and it was something different. It was fun, and you know, it was a good way to stay strong for like summer climbing and ice climbing. Yeah. So was there a point in your life, I mean, you're talking about you're doing a lot of different sports. Was climbing for a while, like the primary thing? That's where your head was, your focus was, that was, how long was that? Rock and ice climbing from probably 14 through 17 was like what I did. I definitely ice climbed more than I skied for a long Hmm. time. I think a lot of the reason why I don't, climb as much out here is do more to the rock and the rock types that are, you know, in the Gunnison Valley than the fact that I wouldn't enjoy doing it still. New England has awesome rock. And I definitely, you know, that was in retrospect, a big part of like what made it so enjoyable. There's a couple like cool, like scrambles that I'll do every year that, you know, I'll throw a couple cams in and like use a rope for, but I'm definitely not out like, you know, clipping bolts anymore or anything like that. Okay. So before we get more into the bike and ski stuff, let's talk a little bit about snowmobiling. I hear you like it a little bit. I like it a little bit. (laughs) And maybe, maybe I should provide some context here is that I think since I've known you the over under on like number of texts I've gotten, like, have you bought a snowmobile yet? (laughs) Probably in like, I don't know, I'd put like 200 in terms of in terms of conversations, phone calls, excoriations. It's yeah. I'd give you 80. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When did uh, when did you get into sledding? As a kid, motorsports were one of those things that I was fascinated with, but it was never really an opportunity for me. I literally asked for a four-wheeler for Christmas and for my birthday every year until I left home. Um, (laughs) And so pretty much as soon as I could afford to kind of be into those things, uh, I was buying snowmobiles and dirt bikes. Um, It's definitely been a a road of learning and progression because it's not anything that I had any tutelage with like coming up. Uh, So I have some really good memories of getting into places with shitty old trail sleds that like we shouldn't be and you know those kinds of fun memories uh but yeah these days i'll probably just take the sled out one day a week in the winter time and just 
go get stuck places. Like it's pretty good. Not to mention living in Crested Butte. I mean, if you want to be skiing most of the backcountry, you need a sled to get there because everything's six to ten miles away. Okay, so I guess in sum, you were a terrible child and you played a lot of different sports. It's kind of what the takeaway. Do we want to give a grade on the background yet? What would you say? Uh, eight? I don't know. Okay. I was thinking seven. Let's go seven and a half. Topless uh, lap dance story gets me a seven okay, and a half. Okay, we'll go eight. Yeah. We'll go eight. <laughs> uh, Very strict, strict ratings. Yeah, it's <laughs> Definitely tough. don't vary on every single question. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a lot of great inflation around here. Um, so how many times have you broken your neck? Three. Three. Jeez. Okay. Let's go through them. Football, skiing, biking in that order. Um, I got playing football. I got tackled in one direction and face masked in another. That was pretty violent. Um, that was definitely. What year was this? Or like what year of high school or whatever? Uh, senior. Senior year. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely the scariest um, just because I, I, you know, didn't know what was happening immediately. And, you know, with my spinal cord swelling and everything, like lost feeling in my arms and legs and was having trouble breathing. Uh, the ambulance had actually just left because someone had like broken their leg. And so I got to the hospital in the back, laying down in the bed of my truck. Oh, um, it was it was exciting for sure, um, and definitely uh, uh, you know that was my first experience with like a long term and probably never fully recovered type of injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it, it lingers now even. What did you What did you specifically do? Uh, do you remember? N- no, it wasn't. So I've never. I have n- no fusion, no plates, yeah. no hardware. Um, I've. Basically, each time I've compressed some discs and, and fractured some vertebrae. Yeah. So it's never been like a thing where it's like, man, you're lucky you didn't take one more step. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of been the the process of immobilizing and yep. re-strengthening each time. Uh, the second time was skiing. I did a, a big zero. I used to ski park because that was what you did. Um, and I completely flailed a big zero spin off a table and just whipped myself into the, into the landing hard enough to like split my zero nine helmet and, you know, like knock myself out and all that. Um, and then the third time was in college riding dirt jumps. I just, (laughs) I was on the big line and messed it up and scorpioned real bad and just kind of crunched my Crunch my head. Were these kind of three different I- injuries or was it, or did you somehow manage to like, you know, fracture the same stuff or whatever? Same. I mean, I think basically after the first time it, my, I definitely noticed that, um, the stabilizer muscles that travel up and down your spine are probably sing- weaker for me than maybe for other folks. Um, and I think it made it a little easier for me to to re-injure the same area. I just don't have the like huck neck or something. That's a, that's something that I can experience with, with a fury, yeah. you know? Um, so. Okay. I'm going to give you a 10 for that. Three broken necks is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You only have one. Well, yeah, but I have some other neck stuff that might trump eh. all 
all of the injuries we've discussed. I don't know. Three's more than one, so. <laughs> yeah. Three different sports. Yeah. Three different sports is impressive. Yeah. The and third is well, zero spin, so. Yeah. If you do a zero spin, I'll give you a 10 on that, too. If I break my neck on a zero spin? No, or just, just, just a zero spin part. Okay, sick. But it has to be more than, like, what was yours, like, 30, 30 40 feet? 30. Yeah, oh. on the big jumps in the park. Well, then that's almost certainly going to be an attempt that ends with a broken neck. Yeah, there so. you go. Okay. <laughs> Bonus. Something to aspire to. So then you talked a little bit about, I mean, so you, you said earlier, so you, you know, you break your neck in high school, you're kind of done with football. And then, so talk a little bit, you ended up going to college at Western. And so talk a little bit about how you made it from Vermont to to, to Gunnison. Sure. So I took a, you know, I basically, I pretty quickly transitioned from, uh, East coast, East coast schools to West coast schools and took a trip with my dad to visit, uh, visited Western, visited, uh, the university of Utah, um, CSU, CU maybe, you know, and, and just kind of the, the hallmarks of like living on the East coast, the schools that you think of when you think about going West and skiing a bunch. Yeah. Um, most of the schools that I visited were large campuses, bigger metro areas, and coming from small town Vermont, that just didn't really feel like the best fit for me and probably wouldn't have been. Uh, the Gunnison Valley, where we are and where I live, you know, it's a, it's a small place. It feels a lot like home in that sense. And so it was easy for me to transition in and, and kind of just feel at home quickly. Uh, you know, probably a bit of that, like, being able to be a little bigger fish in a small pond kind of a scenario as opposed to being lost in a Salt Lake City kind of environment. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have like a NFL future or anything like that. I, it, you know, for me, like sports were enjoyable and it was an opportunity to hit people, uh, but it wasn't like a career goal. So, as I was getting more into climbing, skiing, kind of those outdoor pursuits, I was also starting to recognize that I probably didn't want to live that kind of stereotypical East Coast, you know, banker lifestyle. And I actually came out to Western with the intent of uh, pursuing a career as, as a mountain guide, you know, getting my AMGA certs and, mm. and kind of going that route. Mm. Pretty quickly figured out that, uh, to make that a viable career, um, you have to spend a lot of time traveling and a lot of time on the road. And I enjoy traveling, but like living out of my truck for eight months out of the year while you're getting that off the ground didn't have a lot of appeal for me. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I got here, found out I really loved the place, found out that I enjoyed what I was doing, but I probably didn't want to make a job of it and mm -hmm. moved on from there. What'd you study? I did a double major in uh, outdoor education and business at Western, and then I got a grad degree at CSU a, a couple years after. I didn't know that. Hmm. Go Rams. <laughs> yeah, go Rams. Go Rams. <laughs> huh. Big claim to fame, co-founder. Ah. Uh, co-founder. Co-founder. I used to say founder, and you you always correct me, so I, you know... But a co-founder of what? The well at the time was the freeride team, freeride ski team at Western. Um, myself and another good friend uh, had been following the freeride world tour or free skiing world tour 
for a number of years while we were students at Western. And, you know, it's pretty prohibitively expensive, pretty big barrier to entry, even just in like knowledge of how judging works, you know, getting to know those judges, a lot of those types of things. So Jason, the buddy that I started this with, kind of identified that it would be a pretty cool opportunity to, you know, pass this along to other students who were coming behind us. So our junior or senior year, we started this this club. It experienced pretty meteoric growth pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and since then, it's kind of transitioned into the mountain sports program at yeah. Western, which is pretty unique. There's there's a couple other programs around the country that, that do similar things, but it's really, it's a highly supported, well-endowed program that affords student athletes the opportunity to continue to pursue competitive skiing, mountain biking, climbing, you yeah. know, stuff that isn't available everywhere. So you guys were juniors, undergrads. Mm-hmm. That's yep. pretty cool. Yeah, it was rad. It was also, I had just started dating a girl at the time who kind of went on to be my wife. Um, and <laughs> she, she, uh, she was on Western's NCAA D1 Alpine team and the team got cut and she was like thinking about transferring to continue to, to ski other places. And, uh, I didn't want her to leave and she's super competitive person. So it was kind of like, Hey, we're doing this thing. It's cool. You can compete at skiing. You should stick around. So that was for me, that was a big part of it too. Hmm. Well, I think having made your way from Vermont to Gunnison and then starting the free ride team, I think you get a 10 for that. How did you first get connected with blister slash do you remember the first time we met? I do. Okay. I do not. What a, can I say asshole on this podcast? <laughs> what an asshole. I'm sure whatever, I'm sure as soon as you remind me, I will remember. Uh, so we got connected through a mutual friend that you knew. Um, and, you know, you were coming into the valley and just trying to figure out what was going on yeah. here. So that's how you got connected with me. We actually met at Tully's, the bar in CB South. Ah, And it yeah. was so incredibly loud because there was some yeah awful bluegrass music playing. <laughs> that, Question mark? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I just remember so it was that, really loud. That was the first time, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I mean, I definitely remember that mm. that meeting, I, but I would not have remembered if that was the first time. I do. I do, because you brought like a little notebook with you. Boom. <laughs> Always Detail. Prepared. prepared. He was prepared. Bonus points. He was on point. Okay. That was the fateful meeting. That wasn't that interesting of a story. I think that's like a six. Yeah. Well, yeah. He remembered it and you didn't. Okay, seven. I think that gets him two points at least. <laughs> and he brought a notepad. So I'd he say, brought a notepad. He, okay, I'd say eight. I was okay. probably wearing a suit jacket. <laughs> no, you definitely weren't. I would have. I would have remembered Actually that a tuxedo. I yeah. do remember the loud band though. Yeah, that was a thing. It was. Um, a props to Tully's though. I'm a big Tully's fan. All right, it's time to talk about a little Friesen terminology. First, let's talk about hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag torque smash. Uh, <laughs> the floor is yours. Oof. I'm I'm more or less an Instagram virgin, so I didn't realize you couldn't make hashtags for yourself. <laughs> Wait, what? 
you didn't realize, oh, you couldn't sort of make. Yeah, I couldn't make I couldn't choose my own destiny in terms of how I wanted to tag my shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, Torque is uh, a begrudged nickname um, that I have. And I generally would say I ski and bike with more of a smashy smash type approach. So I made it and I use it. And I like it because it makes people feel uncomfortable <laughs> like it's doing now. Uh, there is no, there's no deep-seated meaning. It's not a life philosophy. Uh, it's just kind of a way for my mom to find my posts and stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't know Torque was a nickname. I, I thought either. it was just T-O-R-Q-U-E. Like no, no. Just two forces torquing and smashing and combined together. <laughs> no. That makes more sense. Yeah. It's a it's a derivative of a much longer nickname that I held for gotcha. a while. Okay, uh, what was the longer nickname? So, Dick Torkelson <laughs> was an alias that I used uh-huh. in college. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do know this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> probably can't say too much about that yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. But it was an alias that I operated under for a number of years and <laughs> got into some good hijinks with. And so, Torque is kind of the abbreviated carryover of that because who wants to be called Dick Torkelson on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> torque smash. It's good. But yep. you, when I say torque smash, you do always, you're like, no, hashtag torque smash. <laughs> Cause I do think that we should probably get like torque smash t-shirts made. Probably. That probably needs to happen. Yeah. You know, we really got to step up our t-shirt game. We talk about like decently edgy vibes and like we've talked about a lot and um as we just teased literally the next thing i wanted to ask you about was smoking rocks um or burning edges or whatever you however you want to talk about this but well i think it came about from a conversation that we had one day where i was talking about the smell that you get when you're skiing <laughs> and your edge uh you know sparks off on a rock and you had no concept of what I was talking about, which was really distressing for me because yeah. it means you're skiing at Crested Butte. And if you're not hitting rocks, are you really skiing? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a phenomenon that when you stop caring about your skis as if they're heirlooms, you ski in a manner <laughs> that provides maximum enjoyment. That probably means eventually there's going to be a rock in your path And instead of deviating from your path, you ski through the rock, which gives you a nice spark and this wonderful smell that you can get no other way. And it's really something that you're missing out on. You really seem to be resisting me on this. So this has been a longstanding argument of ours. And here, two things I have to say. First of all, the funniest part about this is like I've sent, our reviewer Noah Bodman mm-hmm. skis and Noah I remember the first time that I sent Noah skis he like wrote me and was like what happened to these things <laughs> he was like these are the most messed up bases and edges like I've ever seen so I so one I think this is a little bit relative but I definitely think like you are to the right of me Noah does ski in whitefish though so they he, get a decent amount of snow yeah it's true I, I guess I've never skied in whitefish but he was like 
appalled and like aghast like i was like beating up a child or something and um so it is a little like to just give a little bit of context here but yeah you are definitely like far to the right here's the thing i always say though about this is like if we go out and just keep blowing up skis that really sucks from a review point of view and if like oh we just smashed you know busted this edge or whatever this ski is going to be out of commission while we go you know fix it and it's like it's a great way to just miss windows so yes on the one hand i think i'm probably far to the right of the skiing population when it comes to like abusive skis we really try to not just blow all these things up um, and so, yeah, this is an ongoing, I don't think that we're going to like solve this today. N- no, it's better to blow them up. <laughs> if you don't have wood screws in your skis, <laughs> you're not doing it right. I will say my favorite quote from it, one of Eric's reviews, I think it was like the Solomon S max, which is a very sensitive precise lightweight but he's like if you want to be able to tell if the rock you just ran over was an igneous or metamorphic get this boot yeah i was like you're the only person who would come to that conclusion about us uh on most people talk about on snow feel eric talks about on rock feel i think right (laughs) yeah right that's a fair point it's important all right i'm giving you a 10 for torque smash but i'm giving you an eight because I, I don't like I don't like how you treat me in our arguments. <laughs> um, well, we've kind of been touching on this a bit with like you know torque smash and smoke and rocks talk, but let's talk a bit about your personal or kind of general bike preferences. You could go get on a single speed hardtail and you could go get on a DH bike and we trust you to be able to talk about the nuances of this entire range of stuff. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. But, but so like with that said, in general, like what are you kind of into? We're going to talk first about bikes and then we'll get into some of the ski stuff. Well, I'm, I mean, where I live certainly defines a lot of what I'm into. I live right at the base of Hartman Rocks, which is this phenomenal single track uh, parcel. And there you'll find me riding a single speed quite a bit because yep. it's um, the topography looks like a heartbeat and it's, you know, perfect spot for that kind of a thing. Conversely, up in CB, you know, ride to the top of something, you ride back down. Um, I'm a big fan of big enduro bikes because you know, you can, you can suffer your way to the top of anything once and you're going to have a lot more fun on the way down. Generally, I'm pretty open to riding just about anything. Um, I definitely prefer more relaxed angles, uh, for sure. Um, I prefer pretty efficient pedaling platforms. I think, uh, I definitely would be more of a DW guy than like an FSR kind of guy personally. I probably like lighter casing tires than what's popular because a lot of our rides tend to be huge, you know, just like 40 milers with a a lot of vert and pretty much everything we ride here is, uh, marbles over firm. Uh, so, you know, some of the, like, some of the nuances of, of tires we miss out on a little bit just because there's not that much traction to go around anyways. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty adaptable. I like checking out different stuff. I, I I definitely, you know, I fall into the N plus one 
kind of uh, philosophy when it comes to bikes where I don't think I'd really want to have just one because you, you kind of, you become such a generalist at that point that you miss out on some of the fun that like having a, a few can provide. Yeah. But certainly the, the new trail bikes, you know, in that 150 category, like if I could only have one, it would be a 150 mil trail bike with relaxed but not insane angles uh probably some probably dw link you know as a, as a suspension platform and probably the nicest suspension i could stick on it that would be you know kind of where i fall in my preferences mm-hmm. that's an eight it's a b it's good all right ski preferences we like to think that we can put you on a range of stuff and get some pretty useful feedback. But like, let's talk a little bit about if you're just going to go ski. (laughs) Dear Lord, this is going to get stupid. Go ahead. Whatever. I definitely, I fall on the more traditional shape side of the spectrum. I definitely appreciate skis that are uh, damp and probably on the slower rebounding side of the spectrum. Uh, Twitchy skis, I generally don't enjoy as much. Unlike you, I really enjoy a nice progressive flex in a ski. I, I enjoy when I've, my tip is going to be softer than my tail. Um, you know, I, I don't need my tip to be insanely stiff. I'm not going to let you get away with calling that a progressive flex. That's called an Austrian flex, and it's stupid. <sighs> I like my Austrian flex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But generally, I prefer, you know, kind of what would be classified as your big mountain charger type skis, skis with metal in them, skis with larger turn radiuses, um, skis that allow you to just kind of smash through stuff. Yeah. Um, That being said, you know, like I've definitely come to appreciate tighter turn radiuses, um, you know, a snappier, more lively ski. I think a lot of it just kind of depends on how hard I'm trying to ski on any given day, you know, like those big skis aren't the right tool for every job, despite how much I'd like them to be, you Mm -hmm. know? But it is true. You, you, one difference I think between us is you seemingly are like that softer shovel, but a real supportive tail. Um, That's more your jam. Whereas I actually tend to be like, I probably am willing to give up a super stiff tail. I want that more even, just even it out, like even it out for me front to back. Whereas you get along pretty well with the, you're like, yeah, I don't really mind if it's softer up front, but give me that like platform on the back. I do. Yeah. I definitely need a, or I don't need, but I, if I was building my own ski, it would be pretty stout um, in the tail. Just, I want to be able to stand up skiing away from something when I'm going too fast and I don't want to worry about folding it in half or breaking it okay uh i think we should have you talk about your first touring setups (laughs) okay (laughs) for reference (laughs) uh so you i mean years this is years and years ago now i was young and spry and strong and there were cameras with us when we were out in the backcountry and so these cameras like this big yeah like they sat on your shoulder (laughs) took an extra snowmobile to get in um i spent a lot of years touring on skis that had 916s on them and i used trekkers uh the arg was one of it is one of my favorite skis of all time and i've i've done some big days on that 
uh, the Dina Star Legend Pro XXL and a 194. Oh my God. That was one that came out a lot with me. Um, and yeah, it was just, you know, it was that time where you, A, to ski some of the stuff the way we wanted to, there really wasn't a lot. This was like pre-Dukes even. There wasn't a lot that was going to let you do that. I mean, you could look at Fritchie's the wrong way and you'd pop out of them. Terrifying. Um but also, you know, it was it was a bit of like ego and mentality and vibe for sure. You know, you wanted you never wanted to be worried about what was on your feet because you were so terrified of what you were trying to do anyways that yeah. it was worth going a little slower on the way up. But hmm. definitely, yeah, pa- packed around some pretty heavy setups for sure. So it's it's pretty cool to see like where we're at now with a lot of that stuff because yeah. it's, I mean, there's still there are people that that's very necessary for them, but it's not for me anymore. And I, I miss it a little bit, but just a little bit. And you are still, you keep asking us like, uh, Hey, is anybody using the, the day makers today? <laughs> so like, to be fair, like, Oh yeah, you're still, you're still pulling around. And he's using them not with a light ski. <laughs> no, the Kai shapes numinous is it's, uh, what it's over 2400 grams the one we have so yeah yeah still got a little bit of that in you left <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely do but it, it is certainly more of of a right day right time yeah kind of approach now. well and let's talk about this because i'm getting a little fed up with like sort of comments coming in and like i i sort of get it like people like to pigeonhole you know and like slot certain people or sort of all of us in, you know, something like this. And so, but like, so for point in fact, I mean, you were actually, were over the other day and we were talking about the fact that, um, like you own a DinaFit rotation 12 binding, right? And what ski do you have that on? I have that on a pair of Ravens and a pair of Renegades. I mean, again, like before anybody's like, oh, so this guy only likes or will only ski like million pound setups. It's like, no, like we ski a bunch of different stuff. And like you just said, like the right equipment for the day. Um, And and granted, like not everybody can switch up their equipment, but then that's a different question. Right. And so before everybody starts just being like, well, Eric will only ski right? Like million pound things. It's like, it's just not true. Yeah. Eric asked me for a Solomon, Solomon Mountain Explored 95 last year, Yeah, which is a great ski n- and not a bodacious or a numinous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy all of it. Like I've done the Grand Traverse a couple of times. Like I like to suffer and however that suffering is presented, you know, that's, yeah. that's part of the fun. Whether that's sure. the up or the down. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, all right. Pretty good. I'm going to give that an 8.5, even though I wouldn't put a rotation on a Raven. On a Raven? Yeah. What would you put on there? Anything else. (laughs) But that's just me. Um, See? Let a thousand flowers bloom. It's all good. Who's your favorite reviewer at Blister? I'm here for the points. (laughs) So my favorite reviewer is you, Jonathan Ellsworth. Um, I think you became my favorite reviewer when you got so worked up about the tip height on a pair of skis <laughs> that we were reviewing. Because I think if someone is so in tune with a ski's performance that they're noticing the nuances of uh, of how 
high the, the tip of the ski is off the snow. Yeah. That inspires confidence. It inspires me to be a better reviewer and it keeps me motivated every day. <laughs> see where, where, I, where, where I hear in tune with skis and tip height, I think uh, insane or obsessive. I was <laughs> totally right. I was a hundred percent right here for the points. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I'm not getting graded today. <laughs> <laughs> for, okay, did, first of all, you should stop talking because right now you have a ten on this answer, and you can only you can only <laughs> go yeah, down it can only go okay. down. <laughs> I was right. You want to know how I know I was right? Because the manufacturer went and changed the ski and was like, yeah, we kind of, you know, that first iteration of it, we didn't, we didn't quite dial it in. So you're welcome. But after that point, there have been more than a few occasions where like, that tip looks low. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not. That is, that is the only. I, th I think it's built of like a condition, like you have PTSD from that one ski. Oh my God, like, I definitely do. <laughs> I definitely do, but I have not made I have not, I have said to you when a new ski comes in, yeah. like that, that tip looks low, but I have not had the spear tip. There have only been two spear tip skis in the yeah. history of blister. And yeah. Yeah. Final yeah. answer. Locked in. <laughs> this is a good one. Smart answer. I should Ten. have been the one holding the computer. <laughs> um, so I think uh, I'm supposed to say Noah. I think that's the right answer. No, no, that guy. Um, he doesn't smoke as many rocks. He is, yeah. All right. Next question. Who is your favorite mountain biker and who is your favorite skier? Hmm. Curtis Keen, probably my favorite mountain biker. Don't know the man. Like his style. Uh, and then Hoji by a mile skiing for sure. Nice. We, uh, we've been going up to the Golden Alpine Holidays Lodges, mm -hmm. and one of the guys that we go with is a filmer for Matchstick. So one of the coolest parts about those trips is being in those same zones that uh, he films in a lot. Yeah. And this guy will just point out like, oh, and Hoji gapped all these things. And you look at it, <laughs> and it doesn't – you don't even see it as an option until he points it out. Yeah. So it it's – it's been fun to be up there and like kind of be on his home turf and like see a little bit of that. Like definitely different level for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Cause we'll be uh, like, you know, we'll be pounding our chests. Like, Oh, we just sent that triple. Like, <laughs> look at us. We're amazing. And it's like, yeah, he sent that in one. <laughs> exactly. Like, and he broke his boot when he did it. Yeah. Cause he stomped it so hard. Yeah. And then he probably like skinned nine more laps, you know, like, it's just like, well, yeah. we all suck. Let's and then he fixed life. everyone's gear. Didn't sleep all night. Yeah. Like yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I, I mean, I just like the approach that Curtis Keen seems to take to life and to racing. And, hmm. you know, he like, it seems like someone that you would really enjoy going on a ride with. Hmm. Um, and I also small, uh, I don't know if this would be small shout out to myself or claim to fame. I, uh, took his KOM away on, on T Collie, a popular ride here. Yeah. So I felt real good about that. Granted, he wrote it once. I wrote it probably 20 times to do that. <laughs> so you were, you had this specific oh, goal. Oh, this was, yeah. yes, this was, a, this was a project. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to wrangle that out of his, uh, his grasp. Because uh, a couple years ago, uh, the EWS came through town yeah. and 
we all were really enjoying a lot of Strava success. And after the EWS came through, we don't anymore. Oh, the they're just reset. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just now they're pretty much irrelevant. Yeah. You know, like we used to try to get under like, you know, 15 minutes riding down doctors or something. Yeah. And now like Jared Graves has some like 13 minute time. Guy, and it's <laughs> That's just, terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's just not a thing for us anymore. <laughs> so do you think as a kind of generalization, do you find yourselves being more like impressed at sort of the overall level of, I don't know, let's say either great enduro riders or World Cup DH riders or big mountain pro skiers? I think to be fair to big mountain skiers, I actually don't pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on in that world anymore. So I don't think it's, I don't think it would be entirely fair for me to say like, you know, World Cup DH racers, because anytime I see video of what people are doing on skis these yeah. days, it's it's not really even relatable to me anymore. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think of all three, your World Cup DH racers are probably your most finely tuned, sharp-edged athletes. They are probably the most specialized in what they're doing. But that, you know, the the counterpoint to that is it really speaks to what amazing generalists, you know, enduro racers are or big mountain skiers because, you know, they're seeing that stuff as a skier for the first time as you're trying to, you know, make it look good on camera or as an enduro racer, maybe the second or third time if you're lucky. And all of them, you know, are all competing at a level that's, you know, pretty unrelatable, I think, for most everyone that doesn't make their life as a action sports athlete. Going to give you a nine for that. Um, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? Now, to be fair, yeah, you had advance notice for this question, so you've had some time to think about and this. And I've one. been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> but turns out there's probably a lot of contenders there's a lot. This is like asking Bob Dylan what his favorite song is that he ever wrote. And he's like, bro, I have like 10,000. Mumble, mumble, mumble. Stop. <laughs> um, yeah. The fact that my mom is probably going to listen to this is a pretty big determining factor in what I'm going to throw out here. Uh, so I think the dumbest thing that I've ever done in this instance, at this moment in time, is uh, after I hurt my neck the third time, dirt jumping, I knew what had happened. I knew what was going on. I was real pissed off about it. And so instead of going to the hospital, I threw on the neck brace and back stabilizer that I just own at this point. Yeah. And we threw a giant party. And there's a bunch of really fun photos of me drinking beer out of silly straws that <laughs> evening. And so we just, we raged. And then I went to the hospital the next day. Sounds like you did it right. I mean, you went from your prior incident, you were in like a cervical collar or something. Uh, yeah, so I was. This yeah. is responsible partying. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, sure. I'm not an idiot. And he even used a straw. Like he wasn't right. straining. Right. No, I was no cake. I mean, we don't do <laughs> no cake, cake stand. Like, we, we weren't a cake not stand many. household anyways. But no, I mean, I, I hung out on the couch, but that was probably not the most intelligent thing I've ever done. <laughs> okay. Um, that's all right. I mean, you know, 
Did you go the next day? Yeah. Yep. All right. I mean, I waited five days to go, so I'm not that impressed by this story, actually. Yeah, but that was his third time. Yeah. I mean, I can... I... That's true. Like, if I did it again, I don't think I'd wait five days. Yeah. Okay, fair, fair. All right, that's pretty good. I almost... I almost... Uh, I don't know that this is... See, I kind of hesitated to throw this one out because it's not really my... Like, it's not dumb on my part. Uh, but I got roofied in college and uh, almost died in an alley because I didn't know. My I was like running like I think it was like 25 beats per minute when the when EMS picked me up. There's uh, the, yeah, I mean, so fun story. So we're all out at the bar drinking. There were, I think, four of us. Three of us got roofied. The level of insane experience that we all had was very relative to like how long we were there and how much we consumed on top of the Rufalin. Um, so the guy that left the bar first woke up the next morning. He had taken his clothes off. He woke up naked. He had shoved them up the U-bend of his toilet, like with his fist and opened a bag of Cheetos and like smeared them all over himself. <laughs> okay. Who? So guy number one. Uh, okay. Yeah. Keep guy going, number please. two, we... The next morning, I'll have these insane voicemails from him. He had walked three miles and became lucid in the Gunnison River. He was up to about his waist in the river. Oh, Lucky he didn't drown. Yeah. And then spent the next four hours freezing cold and wet trying to get home, which he couldn't find. Like, you know, he knew the community very well. Like, he could have walked home in probably 35, 40 minutes. It took him hours to get home as he was lost, just rambling around town. And then I think what happened to me was I got up, left the bar, got on my bike to try to ride home, immediately fell over and off my bike and was in an alley. So I was discovered when the bartenders were closing down the bar and just saw this, you know, body body in the alley. But it's not really, I don't know. No, but it's a good story. So I do think you get credit for bringing it up. But the biggest question is, do you know who did this? Was this some like... We have a strong... I'm pretty sure I know who it was. Um, I think you were right to to bring in that kind of addendum. And so we're going to give you an eight for that, mostly for the weird Cheeto stuff. What are you better at than Sam Shaheen? You know, I've I've honestly never met Sam in, in person, person. Not once. No, not once. This is amazing. Uh so I don't, I don't know, to be fair. So I'm just going to go with the blanket statement of everything. Um, Shots fired, Sam Sheen. Yeah, but really, I, I don't know. I mean, he, it's seems, he this... seems like he's a pretty badass dude. So he can, definitely, he can definitely zero spin better than you. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. you're definitely a better biker than him. Oh, yeah, I did both... see some goofy video. Yeah. Sure. You know how to bring a bike helmet better than him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't yeah. really I don't really know. Okay. But we'll okay. say biking. Um okay, that's that's all right. That's like a five. What gear would you say you are the most picky about and the least picky about? I would say as a blanket statement, I'm pretty picky about my gear in yeah. general. That's you know, things that are within the sphere of my control you know, that are going to impact my experience in the backcountry or on a bike or whatever. I, you know, I look to control those variables for sure. Um, suspension is definitely something that I'm pretty picky about the way it's set up pressures, 
cons- consistency in my suspension is really important. Um, a very classic, but I think good answer is brakes on a mountain bike or any bike, but you know, uh, repeatability and consistency with brakes is stu- super important. I'm very picky about gloves. Um, yeah. you know, hands, important mandibles. You want to be able to do stuff with them as well as you can. Not now we're talking mountain bike gloves, not so much ski gloves or both. Oh, both for sure. I, I mean, like if you're working with ropes and snow and like, there was an instance earlier this winter where like myself and a friend were rappelling off this giant cliff that we didn't actually know the rope would get to the bottom of. And the wind was blowing legitimately probably 45 miles an hour. And we were really cold and tired. And it was generally like a fairly unsafe situation where you start to hurry and make stupid mistakes. So wearing gloves that I was able to manipulate the rope and not take them off, you know, it becomes important, you know, when you're, in spots like that for sure what's your current favorite go-to ski glove or do you have a quiver quiver for sure so with what you're just describing if you're wrapping out of something or climbing what's your go-to so i've been using these gloves all season they've got a bunch of insulation in them so they they stay warm they're kind of meant for ice tools so they've got very grippy palms but they're still low profile enough that you know they stay mostly out of the way um that would be for like backcountry skiing, probably my go-to glove right What's now. the glove? It's the Black Diamond. Black Diamond Arc. Black Diamond Arc. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's a nice climbing glove, technically. Do you have a go-to mountain bike glove at the moment? Uh, the Troy Designs Ace. It's okay. just this super low profile, yeah. no wrist, like Velcro, nothing, just yep. very, very minimalist. Uh, I find that that's kind of, the best contact point that I can get with a glove on a bike. But you're a glove, you're a mountain bike glove guy, not a bare hand guy. For sure. I mean, A, Me I, don't, too. I don't like sunburning. Yeah. My poor little hands. Luke. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> I uh, like Luke. <laughs> I also don't like, as someone who's like gone down on bikes enough to like spend a lot of time picking rocks out of my skin. Yeah. Palms don't need it yeah, in my yeah. life. Yeah. And I also don't ride as hard as like Blinky or someone like that. So you're kind of throwing a statement out there, I think, a little bit when you ride gloveless. Hmm. Like I'm a super shredder. Watch, uh. watch out. So I try to fly a little more under the radar uh. than that. Okay. Okay. So I think we covered the most picky. What about the least picky? <sighs> Ski boots might be one. <laughs> Um, I think this is a whole, this is a whole other topic. Oh my God. Which by the way, we're not going to go into it. I made a note. We're not going to go down this rabbit hole today, but but I love that you brought this up. So let's ski boots. I think I'm adaptable. You are adaptable. adaptable. That is a great way to put it. And because you give me so much shit about them, I'm not very picky about ski pants. Nope. (laughs) Although I ripped the the crotch out on them, so I got a black pair now. Sick! This but is the best thing that's happened. They're still too short. It's the worst. I am committed to getting you any other ski pants that aren't the like women's ski pants you've been rocking for two seasons. So this is a positive development. No. This is a positive development. Um, there's a lot of colors. They don't have to be black. I know, Luke. Like we no, we as don't. As a photographer, I know. I, 
love no. Eric's neon uh, orange pants. Every time I saw you, I was like, They're visible uh, from Aspen if you're shooting in Crested Butte. <laughs> That's true. That part's true. Um, I hated your pants so much. So I'm very psyched to hear this. And we will, we truly will, like, we will make sure you are in as anything other than that color. Yeah. As that, I've noted before, one of us has a degree in apparel and merchandising and the other does not does not um, so just keep that in mind while you're getting this feedback to- oh totally one of you can pull off anoraks it's true <laughs> the other one of us can cannot. even put them on <laughs> yeah. yeah these are all true statements okay that was actually pretty solid because you actually nailed it with the pant color thing you were not picky about that solid answer We're giving you a nine on that okay top three favorite books movies and or musicians now you can go a couple different ways here you can name one from each of those three categories but we will also accept if you want to go like two in one category one in another something like that but let's see what you got so media for me is is generally more about escapism than kind of like challenging my intellect i think i'll try to do that in other ways and i think i'm going to pick one of each uh, that seems a little more approachable. So favorite musician slash band would be Rage Against the Machine by a mile. Uh, (laughs) If I could only have one, that would be it. I was trying to get tickets to their shows this summer. They Hmm. were so insanely expensive. Um, Movie, probably The Matrix. I remember walking out of The Matrix and just questioning everything. I love this answer. Love that. This movie does not get talked about enough, I think, anymore. And I'm with you. When I saw that, it blew my mind. And I think it still holds up. Oh, yeah. Like, all these years later, which is amazing, given that it was sort of a cutting-edge movie at the time. Or maybe a a close runner-up would be uh, 300. For the same... I remember watching that movie and walking out and really needing to aggressively fight the urge to walk into a bar and punch the <laughs> toughest looking guy in there yeah. in the face. So. Torque smash. Yeah. Just, <laughs> ah. It's torque smash in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then for a book or an author, it's uh, probably Cormac McCarthy. You're just now. You're just now. You're just, now you're just kissing up to the yeah. teacher. Twenty-five percent of that is me playing for points here, audience. Uh, but really, I mean, w- picking up one of his books. Those are some. I get through those uh, some of the quickest of like anything I read. You know, mm-hmm. like I just. I love where his head's at, and I find myself not like wanting to put them down until they're done. I mean, I'm also a sucker. I'm of the like Harry Potter generation. So amazing, amazing transition, folks. <laughs> just <laughs> we just went from Rage Against the Machine, 300, because it fires me up to go beat up the toughest guy in the bar. Cormac McCarthy, one of the darkest novelists out there, and now we're going to talk about Harry Potter, the wonderful Wizarding World, man. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm all over the place. I, but in general, I'm just looking for something that keeps me entertained and, you know, do you have a favorite Cormac novel? Uh, probably the road. Okay. Probably. I don't look forward to a a dystopian future where that's my life by any means, but I think I could stay alive in that scenario. (laughs) So, 
Yeah. It's those survival point. camps. Yeah. Those survival camps. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Mom and Dad. Yeah, totally. Um, would you say The Matrix is your favorite movie? Yeah. Like, if I could... I love that answer. Yeah. If I could have, like, one DVD... Yeah. Um, it would be that, or it would be... Uh, I kind of even hate to, like, mention this because I don't want to open myself up to a bunch of <laughs> shit-talking. Uh, there's this Japanese anime series, Cowboy Bebop. It's amazing it's it's good film like real good film um and if i could like if we opened it up to like you can have a series it would probably be cowboy bebop this is a tv series or a yeah so it's an anime out of japan uh amazing jazz soundtrack it's bounty hunters in space what (laughs) what just happened right now bounty hunters i mean talk about if we're discussing entertainment value like bounty hunters in space jazz soundtrack anime yeah it'd take your mind off other stuff for sure for sure (laughs) it's i mean it's it's good television like even if you're like if you've never like watched an anime in your life like if you watched that you would be kind of starting very close to the top of the genre for sure cowboy bebop yep can i where can i find this somewhere like yeah i mean is this just YouTube or Netflix or it's, I mean, I would bet it's pretty highly regulated. It's, you know, it's like pretty premier st- you know how they like, oh, so I'll, but like I can go on Amazon or something and rent this or I can rent this somewhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's, I mean, it's one of the biggest things they've ever sent out for sure. Hmm. So. Wow. Huh. Did not see that coming. Yep. Okay. Full surprises. <laughs> Final two questions. Give us a random review. Of whatever. I'm giving you a nine for that last. You're doing real well today. I'm, I'm here to win. Yeah, I know. It's I'm smart. That's the attitude you need to come into. Grading a little more lenient today than it was for me. <laughs> no, you got what you deserved. <laughs> um, you made me rate my siblings. <laughs> That's true, I did. <laughs> that was, that they, was, don't, they bring it up all the time. <laughs> That's still probably my favorite moment in the whole reviewing the reviewer series. Yeah, and you did it, so... <laughs> Credit to you. All right, random review. Random review. All right. So I've, I've talked a fair bit about like mentors in my life in this podcast. And so I'll, I'll talk about another one. His name's Gary. Uh, big influence on my life. Also happens to be a little bit on the older side of the spectrum. So in the last couple of years, he's... Are we allowed to talk about last names and positions here or are we just keeping it at Gary? Oh, Gary Pearson, Dean of Students at Western, kind of home you know, hallmark of the community for sure. Yeah. Uh, being that he's, I think he's 63 now. He's in the last couple of years gotten real into drinking insure, you know, a little bit of a, I think a little oh. bit of it's like <laughs> self-deprecating, but uh, he's gotten me on the train for sure. Cause yes, I, he has. Yeah, he has. So my quick review is going to be for strawberry insure. Oh, oh not strawberry. Strawberry insure. <laughs> Oh, it's got no. 25% of my daily molybdenum needs, which really hits home because we have a giant molybdenum mine here <laughs> yeah. in Crested Butte. It's very contentious. You don't want to just go over there and just lick the rocks yeah. or something? <laughs> I think it's got something like 350 calories, uh, something like 20 grams of protein, shelf-stable forever, probably. Nice, like, chalky taste, if if you can call it that with a very like creamy consistency so when it's hot in your car or truck after like a bike ride it's 
wonderful. Uh, but it's a very inexpensive way to get a quick energy boost after like a big ride. I would recommend it to anyone, you know, from <laughs> ages eight to 80. And it's a great way to fill out your daily nutrition needs. Is strawberry your favorite flavor? It's my favorite flavor because I got Jonathan to <laughs> mix strawberry insure with his very expensive whiskey. Yeah. And uh. well, it was a bet, and I think well, you still owe me. I do. What you it? haven't called. I, I was gonna buy you your drinks for the rest of the evening, oh. and like the, the Howard Hughes hermit that you are, <laughs> he couldn't drink after you, you took didn't. That drink. Yeah, you didn't come out and join us, so you didn't get your drinks. <laughs> well, I feel like you still owe me a drink. I can still collect on this. I don't think there I was think a. I, I'll buy you a drink. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, there is. I think there's. Insure. There's something to be said for uh, time limits on bets. I have. Uh, <laughs> I have one going with a friend. He still owes me. Uh, he needs to get his nipple pierced. Oh man. Um, and I, I'm kind of waiting for like the right time to call him out on that. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, I don't know what the shelf life for that is. Okay. Well, first of all, the only reason I mixed a really good, really good whiskey wasn't it Pap Winkle or something? No, no, it was it was it was it was fifteen year old whistle pig. Oh god! Oh. Now there's some people that definitely should punch me in the face the next time. But you were so you were like you won't do that. You were like dead set, like you will not do this. And I was like, dude, bro, and I did. But I love, I feel like we can, we can actually bring this conversation to a wrap now. Cause you know, the goal of these reviewing the reviewer episodes is always to like, we want to give people like, who is Eric Friesen? And the fact that you brought up Ensure, this is an absolute staple. When you come into Blister HQ all the time on just a normal day, like, hey, what's up, Eric? Yeah, I'm going to get some skis, going to go review some stuff. You have your weird old people in shore <laughs> all the time. So I love the fact that you brought this up. And uh, I do feel like now people really do. People really know you now. So, you know, that's, that's strong. I, and, remember, uh, I didn't even notice that. And, but now that you bring it up, I remember it. Like the bottles in our trash can. Yeah. <laughs> like, I keep it pretty low profile. Yeah, the senior citizen <laughs> reviewing press. Yeah. <laughs> that's me um the I, other, I grab you know the best points of any age bracket yeah yeah there you go the other thing is in this random review you managed to give a shout out to gary pearson who beloved member of the gunnison valley and just the best the best people the fact that you outed your love of ensure and managed to like give props to gary in this that's that's a pretty solid random review so um that's a nine, I think. Last question. What's the best question I haven't asked you? I kind of played my hand a little early on this one, but I think what I had intended to come with was who is Dick Torkelson <laughs> and what is his relevance to Crested Butte Mountain Resort? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, but now you have to answer. I have, I have to answer this question? Yeah. You don't. Do, we don't just uh, ask people what the best question is and be like, "Cool, right, that's right. it, folks." Should I? Should I answer this question? Uh, are there any? I want to know. Are there any runs or anything named after Dick Torkelson or anything? Any first ascents by Dick Torkelson? 
No, this was an alias used to wreak havoc on the CBMR HR department. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll go ski in the backcountry if they decide <laughs> they really want to have it in for me. <laughs> I'll be fine. So myself and another gentleman, uh, we spent a couple years riding chairlifts using aliases. Mine was Dick Torkelson. I had a business card. <laughs> and we had concocted this pretty fantastic story uh, that involved John Stamos and his fictional daughter, Daisy. Daisy had very unfortunately passed away in a skiing accident at CBMR. And John Stamos, in an effort to honor her memory here, was paying for the mountain to widen the, the runs by 12 feet on either side. And that lumber, the the blue spruce and, you know, the uh, the different trees that were being felled were going to be used to create a series of banyos throughout the mountain. And I was representing CBMR as an HR representative gathering feedback with customers on lifts. And so, you know, after explaining <laughs> the very sad story of Daisy and, you know, how John being the incredibly generous man that he was, you know, was going to do this. What we really needed was for these individuals to go into the ticket office and let folks know that they were really excited about the idea of Memorial Banos <laughs> across CBMR. And it got to the point where we were sending enough people into their offices that they were pretty actively trying to figure out who was doing this. And this went on for two or three years. And so that's that's Dick Torkelson. That's his legacy at yeah. CB. And uh, thankfully, Daisy Stamos is an entirely fictional creation. No one ever no died. One harmed, no yeah. one was harmed. And uh, there were some people who were really flattered by the generosity of John Stamos <laughs> and the idea of more bathrooms on Crested Butte Mountain Resort. Now, the amazing unknown conclusion to this story is how many people have then, like, after having met Dick Torkelson, <laughs> mm -hmm. met John Stamos and thanked him or said, you know, I'm listen, I'm, I just want to say I'm, I'm so sorry about Daisy, but I, I'm so appreciative of what you, what you did in terms of on mountain bathrooms. <laughs> Banyos. Reclaimed blue spruce. Very specific. Yes. So um, we can only hope. We can only hope. Yeah. Do uh, we know if John Stamos is a skier? I don't know. I'm curious if, I mean, I imagine. He seems like he I imagine CBMR probably asked him, like reached out to him at some point. <laughs> I don't know that it ever got to that level of like investigation. Yeah. But there was a period of time where like having friends who work for CBMR, they were definitely like, yo, you need to like cool it with this because <laughs> it's like not funny anymore. And we did, you know, so like we didn't, we didn't push it too far, I don't think. And hopefully everyone can acknowledge that it was in good fun. Okay. But to be frank, I was expecting something way more offensive or no. damaging in terms of property or something like that. No, you know, like to that point, I have a ton of respect for, the people that make the mountain do mm -hmm. what it does. Yeah. And 
not that I'm here to like shout out PSAs, but like don't duck ropes and like yeah. don't make mm-hmm. the on mountain staff don't make their job harder. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, like we did this because we were taking advantage of the good nature of of guests. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, don't ever like we're able to ski in these places because people want to come and visit them. So don't be an asshole. Well, thanks Dick Torkelson for that, for that final PSA. And, uh, I think our work here is done. I think this is the longest episode of reviewing the reviewer we've ever done. And, uh, but you know, I think appropriate ground was covered and, uh, you know, we thank you for your contributions. We look forward to most of the things that you'll <laughs> that you'll come up with going forward. And uh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that is Eric Friesen. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. And remember, you can go check out the video of this conversation in the next day or two after we publish this podcast. And that will be over on our Blister YouTube channel, where in addition to being able to see just how handsome Eric is, you will also be able to get an update on the status of Luke Kappa's mustache. It is right there in all of its glory. Now, as for Eric's score, well, this is actually a pretty big deal. Eric walked away with a score of something like 87.3-ish which is a new record for our Reviewing the Reviewer series. Just to recap here, reviewer David Golay got an 80.42, Luke Kappa got a 77, and I am currently holding down last place with a score of 73.75. So, yeah, I might be a little bit bitter, but mostly I just want to say here, congratulations, Eric. I also want to say thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode, and thanks to Jared Farley, who is going to be handling the edits for the video that you are all going to watch shortly. And then I want to say thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these Gear 30 episodes or any of our other Blister podcasts, like Off the Couch or Bikes and Big Ideas or, you know, the Blister podcast... We would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice little rating or review in iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts. And of course, I should remind you not to forget to listen to Eric Friesen's Blister Podcast Network debut, which happened over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, where Eric was the MVP of our Blister Crash Course video series episode. I just want to say again, thanks everybody, and from all of us here in the Gunnison Valley, please be safe out there, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again next week.